On the night of July 23, 2007, Jamal Trulove was hanging out in a common area of San Francisco's Sunnydale Projects with his younger brother, Joshua. Jamal's friend, Sel Kuka, drove up, intoxicated, ripping off the side view mirror from Joshua's car. Jamal got between Sel and his brother. Then, gunfire in the air would send Sel into an alcohol-fueled rage in search of a gun himself. Jamal tried to calm Sel again, who pushed him away and punched another man. Frustrated and fed up, Jamal left the scene, only to turn in time to witness his friend Sel being gunned down in the street. Now, since snitching is a surefire way to be sent to the same fate, Jamal kept his mouth shut. Sel's cousin, Priscilla Lualamaga, would go downtown to identify the shooter she claimed to see from her second-story window, only to pass over Jamal's mugshot that was in plain sight. Police pressured her to name Jamal so they could coerce the identity of the shooter from him. Either he would name the killer, or he'd go down for the murder himself. Jamal would receive 50 years to life. The prosecutor's closing argument would point to Lualamaga's bravery in light of the supposed threat of Jamal Trulove. This comment, unsupported by evidence and unobjected to by counsel, would ultimately lead to a new trial in which Jamal's new lawyers would be able to successfully argue that ballistic evidence and the autopsy report proved that the shooter was out of Lualamaga's second-story view. Jamal was finally set free in 2015. This is Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. That's me. I'm your host. And today I'm very excited because this is a story uh, I've wanted to tell for quite some time. And, and that's primarily because of the person who survived this incredible ordeal, Jamal Trulove. He has the best name on top of everything else. So, Jamal, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. Yeah, man. Like I always say, I'm sorry you have to be here, but I'm I'm really happy that you are here. So, Jamal, this story touches me on a personal level because you were in the entertainment business before this horrible misidentification and all the other things that went wrong happened to you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you grew up in San Francisco, right? Yes. Grew up in San Francisco, Sunnydale Projects. Always wanted to get into entertainment within, you know, music and acting. 
And the ball was starting to bounce your way, so to speak, right? Because at the time of this incident, you had been recently featured on a reality TV show, a popular show called I Love New York 2, right? You were just a kid from the projects with no connections, but you were making it happen anyway. How did you do that? Well, initially, I was recording music. My friend had a studio, which he would lend me some time to get in to actually record. And then I had an opportunity to audition for this character for this show called I Love New York 2. So I figured if I could get on the show and put a name to a face, then I will get the exposure that I need to shine onto my music and to ultimately get into film. And sure enough, you had now gone and shot this show. Which, did it shoot in L.A.? or? Yeah, it was based in L.A. And so this was like an exciting time for you. How old were you at the time, Jamal? Uh, well, I started recording music when I was 16 years old. When I ended up landing on the show, I was freshly 21. So a kid with big dreams and aspirations and, you know, the ability to really manifest those things. And I think people that meet you now uh, still see that same spark. It makes, in a certain way, it makes this wrongful conviction more tragic. So Jamal, your life took a terrible turn because of events that occurred around 11 p.m. on July 23rd of 2007. And of course, you know what I'm referring to, but it was that night that 28-year-old Sel Kuka was a resident in your housing project, was shot nine times. How did this happen? How did you find out about it? And how did you get misidentified as the shooter? We were all kicking it in the projects in the area that we typically chill at. And an incident had happened between Sel Kuka and my little brother, Joshua. Sel was intoxicated, driving up the street, where he came real close to my brother's car and ripped off his side mirror. And, you know, I seen it, but didn't think too much of it. And then somebody yelled down to me that there was some type of altercation between him and my brother. So I come through to defuse the situation. I seen how my brother was contorting his face. Uh, Sales, one of my good friends. He's got some liquor in him. So, you know, he's ramped up. He's not trying to take no blame. And they're getting closer to each other where it's going to end up, you know, turning into a fight. So I intervened. You know, I told both of them to chill, relax. Uh, Sale was hyped up. There start being kind of a crowd, people looking on. And next thing you know, we hear some gunshots going off, kind of like, I guess, in the air. And I think, you know, that fueled sell that much more to feel some type of way. And he started heading down, saying that he was going to go get a gun. So me, I I remember some of my other friends used to, you know, kind of contain his anger when he's in this type of state. So me trying to prevent anything from escalating. I kind of followed him and he was asking somebody, one of our other friends to give him a gun. And I'm telling him, no, like, bro, there ain't no reason for all of that. But he like, you know, MF's out here shooting. And I'm like, that ain't got nothing to do with us or this situation. And so I got like close up on him. I like held him like, you know, in a kind of bear hug. And he's like, way bigger than me. I'm probably like 150 pounds soaking wet at that point. And he's like, 220, 230 at least. And he's listening, but you could definitely tell that he's kind of drunk. And then he kind of bust out of my my bear hug in an angry type of way. And at that point, it felt like, you know, he wasn't trying to hear me or calm the altercation. So I ended up leaving across the street, which I had my car inside the parking lot. I had a female friend inside the car. Uh, I bent down to let her know that we're about to get up out of here. And by the time I stood up from the side of the car, uh, I seen Cell skipping around the building right there from off of the street. And I seen the perpetrator already holding the gun in the shooting position. And before I could say stop, gunshots had already ringed off. So I just got down until all the gunshots was over with. And typically in situations like this in a project, regardless if you did something or if you didn't do it, you just hightail up out of there. So that's what I ended up doing. So I'm going to ask you point blank. Did you know at the time who who the actual shooter was? Yes, I did. And there were 
a lot of witnesses. 30 or more witnesses were there because, as you described, it was a street scene, a lot of people hanging out. Of course, in a scene like this, a lot of people are going to be scared to come forward. Nobody wants to be labeled a snitch. Because I know what that actually means. Something happened to me, my family. But one woman did come forward, and she became a key part of this whole awful scenario, right? And this woman's name was Priscilla Lualamaga. And she claimed to have seen the whole thing from her second story window. Already, my spidey senses start tingling because it's 11 o'clock at night. It's dark. It sounds like a pretty dicey scenario to think that she's going to identify somebody. But okay. So she told police that her distant relative, which is the deceased, Sel Kuka, was chasing another man around a car who she identified as your brother, Joshua. And then she further claimed that while chasing Joshua, Kuka bumped into and knocked down another man who got up, chased him down the street, and sloping down a hill and opened fire close range. So this is important. She gets taken to the police station and shown 34 mugshots that were set up on a bulletin board. And she recognized many of the mugshots as faces from her neighborhood, understandably. But then in the two hours she was in that room, with the bulletin board of mugshots, she didn't recognize your face. Correct. Which was immediately above Joshua Bradley's mugshot. So that's even weirder, right? It was right there in front of her face and she still didn't recognize it. Okay. Correct. So two days later, the cops come to her workplace and take us from there. Two days later, the police came to her workplace. But the day before that is real interesting that they actually came to her house showing her a mugshot picture, which we believe to have been me, and they denying that it was me. That didn't run side by side to what, you know, ultimately ended up coming out when it comes down to the lineup and the mugshot. So they told her that if we were to bring a photo lineup with the person who did it inside the lineup, would you be able to identify it? So the next day they went to her job, they brought her a six-pack lineup with Really, me wearing an orange jumpsuit and everybody else in plain clothes, but she had already identified the other people, you know, not being the person and people that she already knows. It's even worse than that, right? Because of the fact that she said that you, quote unquote, looks like the guy who could have shot Kuka, right? So that's pretty damn weak. The six pack lineup, it had two standout things. It had me inside of an orange jumpsuit. And then it also had the dates that came off of the system when they brought up the mugshots, where my date was dated different than the other dates that came off of the system because they had me down as the shooter on day one. Why do you think the detectives had it out for you? Or were they just like, whoever, we just got to close the case. It doesn't matter. I wasn't somebody that was out there. I was always trying to do something positive. I was doing music. You know, I'll hang around, of course. But with my name coming up on the day that it actually happened, whether they wanted questions from me or them saying, oh, it was the guy that Jamal was with, they was like, okay, this is how we're going to get him. We're going to pressure him to either tell on the person who did it or we're going to make sure that he goes down for this. And then... No weapon was recovered, but HL casings were found downhill from the body in the trail leading up to the body, which means that what she said was false because she said the shooter was chasing Kuka downhill. So now we know, and they should have known, that she didn't know what the fuck she was talking about. So to be honest, right, her representation of what actually happened, if anything, she could have only seen what was on the side of that building. She didn't see when the person was actually shooting. She told police that Sel Kuka was chasing another man around a car. And then Kuka bumped into and knocked down another man who got up, chased him down the street, and sloping down a hill and opened fire close range. It wasn't me who Sel had knocked down. What was her agenda here? Do you know? Her whole thing and the family, which I was deeply connected to, felt like they weren't scared of me. They were scared of the person who actually did it, right? So by way of throwing me in there, they felt that I was going to tell on the person who actually did it. Wow. So that's the big boom right there. And then things take another crazy turn, right? Because the TV show airs. The show that you were in, which should have been a cause for celebration, 
she happens to see the TV show, right? And then she comes back and says, oh, now I know it's definitely him. Yeah. So they were getting her closer and closer to that it was me 100%. And then on top of her saying that she talked to her cousin, and then on top of the detectives really trying to get somebody to go to jail for this, you know, that's what brewed up to what that ultimately ended up being. But even still, that didn't work. What ultimately ended up happening was, I say about 14 months later, the police had did a traffic stop with this other woman named Letitia, who had a gun in her lap, had crack cocaine on her, baby in the back, had her boyfriend who was on parole in the passenger seat, pulled over. She's going to jail. She goes down and they basically say, well, if you could tell us X, Y, and Z about this case, everybody basically goes free. She initially tells them that it was daylight and this altercation happened. And then she says she looked through the window and looked all the way down the block and seen that this happened and just threw my name in there. So there was a lot of things wrong with that, right? As in first, she says that she's seen it from 50 yards away on a slant hill in the daylight when it didn't happen in the daytime. It happened at night. But what got the arrest warrant was the write-up that detectives had wrote up. They were guiding her the whole way, making everything like it was a clear record, and then wrote at the bottom, extremely credible. So now when they take that to the DA, now they feel they have two witnesses saying the same exact thing. So this is a crazy timeline, too, because the crime we know happens in 2007. You don't get brought in and arrested until 2008, over a year later. And then the trial doesn't happen until 2010. Correct. So during that time, were you in jail? Did you bail out? How did how did that unfold after you were arrested? Well, after I was arrested, they wanted to question me. Uh, obviously, there's two things you can do. You can give up information, but never mind that, because in that situation, what you're taught in the streets is, you know, is not to snitch, not to give up information. Something happened to me, my family, you know, so I balanced that with also knowing that it's not my duty to put somebody else into jail. That's for them to actually get it right. And that was my way of going at it. So it actually took me about a year and a half to go to trial. It was hard trying to get the 30 people that was out there to actually come in, you know, not say who did it, you know, but to say I didn't do it. I wasn't trying to put nobody in a situation where I was trying to have somebody else tell on the assailant because I wasn't going to do anything like that. Then I have to go, what? hide for the rest of my life for something that's just not my job. That's up to the system to do so. Nobody would want to be in that situation, but you were in it and you're still just a young guy without, you know, resources. And so you, you roll with it and you go to trial. Yeah. So we fought the case at an identity case. You know, I didn't testify. We didn't call nobody to testify or whatever. So it took three days and then it took five days of deliberation Ultimately, they came back with a, a murder one conviction. It was it was definitely tough. I stayed optimistic because I know I didn't do it at the end of the day. And that's what ultimately, you know, kept the wheels turning in my mind on how do I figure this out. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. 
whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And you were convicted, of course, and you were sentenced to 50 years in prison. So I want you to understand this, right? Before I get sentenced to 50 to life, I'm inside of my cell because we're doing a retrial uh, motion, right? To ask for a retrial before sentencing. I'm coming back from church, come inside. It's a 12-man like tank. And this kid by the name of Oliver Barcenas comes up to me. Now, I don't know who this kid is. He comes up to me and he asks me like, you know, is your last name True Love? And I say, yes. Uh, He said, did you go to jail like in 07? I'm like, no, but that's when my case happened. He said, yes, I remember being in a police station at the time where some like Samoan girl and some detectives came in and she was crying and they were pointing at a picture saying, are you sure it ain't something, something true love? And I'm like, whoa. You know, and it blows my mind that it just so happens that I run into this guy and he had just been transported from San Bruno jail to uh, San Francisco County on his way to prison. And he's seen in the newspaper when he was in San Bruno about my case. And he remembered the last name. That was the first spark. And then when he ended up in a cell with me and heard the name again, that's when he actually approached me. And told me these things. So I called my attorney immediately and tell my attorney about him. And my attorney came up and, you know, talked to him, got his statement and come to find out he was at the police station at the exact same time that Lula Lamanga had came into the police station. He was a 16 year old kid cuffed to the bench watching all of this unfold. So what he ended up saying was big in my case because remind you that that photo that photo in the six-pack lineup that had the date that was different from everybody else's which we called into question made that much more sense because they had me down as the shooter on day one and what made more sense from his testimony is why she never pointed at my picture on the wall Because on day one, she was saying that it wasn't me. Even on day two, she was saying it wasn't me. Now, this is newly found evidence. There was no way that we could have knew that this kid was inside the police station. So there's no way we could have called him. Now, just in the heap of that time, what was going on in San Francisco, you got, you know, Kamala Harris, who's going to try to be attorney general. You have another case which got overturned, and then you have a big drug scandal that's happening in San Francisco also at the exact same time. So in the retrial motion hearing, when we put him on the stand to testify, Linda Allen, the city's attorney, attacked, oh, that he was a gang member, and he's trying to do this for a favor for the blacks, like some prison politics type stuff, and Neither one of us have ever been to prison and we just don't know each other at all. 
So in this moment, though, that this is new discovered evidence, I feel like I was politicked out because if they were to grant me a retrial, that would have been two murder cases with convictions. Granted, retrial before conviction and plus this drug scandal that was national attention. So ultimately, even with Oliver Barsenis, they still denied my retrial motion. That's when I got sentenced to 50 to life in prison. Yeah, I mean, it's important to, to look at the role that politics played in this because there was a lot going on. And, and now things are really looking a lot better in San Francisco with the new DA, Chase Boudin, who is doing incredible, incredible things, probably the most impactful six months of any new prosecutor in the history of this country, I would say, in terms of what he's been able to accomplish. But that's a separate issue. Ms. Harris at the time does not come out. I mean, we can't sugarcoat it. I mean, she was one of the villains in this story, in your story, and in too many other stories that took place around this time. Yeah. The thing about Kamala Harris, as a senator, she talks a lot of things that ploys towards the African-American community. And, you know, and it's good. Like if I didn't go through the experience that I went through, then I will probably be on the side of what Kamala Harris actually talks about. And that's if, you know, I didn't find out about a me. But when we talk about being a progressive prosecutor, I think of Chase Boudin. Kamala Harris at the time, she had opportunity to uh, alleviate this case and dive into it, especially a murder charge. Any head DA is overlooking any murder charge that's happening inside of their city. But also just knowing politics at that time, I know four people who went to jail innocently for murders and every single last one of them got convicted. They call it a a street sweep. Once elections come up, They come through and they sweep any case that they have. They say, arrest them, arrest them, arrest them. And look, I went to jail right before elections. And one of the detectives my dad had ran into before I went to trial, Kevin Noble, had told my dad. My dad was like, yo, why you got my son? And he said, oh, you know how it is during election time. You know, DAs, they just come and sweep, you know, everybody up, any case that they got and see if they can pressure people into taking deals. Because they, they offered me a deal, you know, before I went to trial my first time. It was like, you know, you could plead out and take voluntary manslaughter and take 13 years under her watch. So my feeling of Kamala Harris being in that position, being African-American, coming from the Bay Area and being hard on crime the way that she was and how many people that was going to jail for marijuana charges at one of the highest rates in the country you know, played a big part of mass incarceration and also to gentrification in San Francisco. So I cannot unfeel that or see that or when I'm getting sentenced, you know, or my conviction, she's in there smiling and, you know, proud of what this is, what this conviction is and what it means to her career. And then right after I lose my case, she wins, you know, attorney general. So that all tells a story, you know, just within itself. Yeah, and what a sick thing to say to your father. I mean, it's I mean, that's as cold as it gets. Like it's your father for fuck's sakes. So Kevin Noble, before I went to trial, and this was not turned over to us, Kevin Noble actually came in with a confidential informant saying that somebody else did it. So he was out there investigating and he found somebody saying that this person did it. And they took it and they tucked it under the rug. You know, they felt like they had their guy that they was actually sold on on doing it. Jamal, if you could talk about for a minute, and we're going to get to the to the retrial, and of course your exoneration, because you were fully exonerated. That being said, can you tell us, when you were in prison, was there a best moment? When I was waiting for the courts to give their opinion on if I was going to get a retrial or not, and they initially I came back, and I'm on the phone, Uh, At the same time with my appellate attorney, Mark Zilbersmith, and they did not, well, they didn't deny, they changed the conviction from first degree murder to second degree murder, which I would have from 50 years, I would have went down to 40 years to life. And I'm like, whoa, like, you know what I mean? And my celly at the time was like, that's good. That means they're really looking at it. Now, mind you, I'm in prison for three years before I even get this opinion from the appellate uh, courts, but I knew that 
until I get another decision, I will be in prison for at least another two to three years because that's the time that it typically takes. So then my attorney put in a motion to review. So with this strategy, at the same time, I ended up getting two witnesses to uh, sign affidavits testifying to what happened that day without saying the person who did it. And we filed the habeas corpus through the appellate court so it could go across Judge Klein and them table at the exact same time as our review was. And to say that there's two more witnesses saying that he didn't do it. So 90 days later, we got the opinion back that the judges said, you know what? You're right. And they granted a new retrial. And it was a crying moment. You know, I, I cried like a baby, you know, inside that cell. Yeah. And I don't think anyone who's ever not been through that could possibly even imagine such a transformative. I mean, you get your life back. Well, the, well, the, the crazy part about it is like in that moment, you feel excited, right? But come to find out, once you get back to county jail, you just know that you don't have the life sentence no more, but you still have a whole nother fight. And that's potentially going to trial or them coming to you and offering you a deal where you're almost close to want to take that deal just so you don't have to go to trial and lose again. Because at that point, you know, you don't I don't believe in the system. You know, I just got convicted for a crime I didn't do. Like you ask anybody who has a life sentence right now, innocent or not innocent, if they had a deal on the table right now to take it and they get to come home in two years, they're taking it. So let's get to the good stuff because we don't have a ton of time left. But I do want to, of course, talk about how you managed to um, finally get some measure of justice. And by that, I mean, of course, the retrial and your exoneration. When I got back to county, it took me a year to go back to trial. I had two extraordinary lawyers, uh, Kate Chatfield and Alex Reisman. The way that we fought the case, we asked for the original homicide file and the judge granted it to us. What helped us was that they were tampering with the evidence. So when we looked at the original homicide file, we seen that the detectives was writing in pen, pencil, and marker. So the ballistics of the trajectory of the bullets, it didn't fit Lula Lamanga's testimony of the bullets going from the left to the right. The trajectory of the bullets went from the right to the left. And that made more sense if the shooter was coming up from the bottom into the top of the hill. So what they did was erase, because they wrote in pencil, they erased everything that the autopsy lady had said about the trajectory of the bullet wounds. So they knew that that was an issue. Also, a gun shoots off the shell casings from the right into the rear 98% of the time. So if she's saying that this murder happened coming from this way, then the shell cases will be in the street and not in a straight line in the grass from where the shell cases landed. It, it made more sense that the shooter was coming from the bottom into the top. So it did not match with what Lulu Lamanga had actually said. So you were able to undermine the police's theory of the crime because the autopsy and ballistics findings pointed to the gunman approaching Sel Kuka from downhill, which was out of Lualamaga's view. Now, what about the deliberation? Every day within deliberation, you get to choose if you, you want to stay downstairs inside the holding tank or you can stay upstairs until they come back with a verdict. I chose to stay downstairs because the deliberation room was right next to the holding tank. And I'm, I'm in there panicking. I'm stressing. I'm pacing. You know, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do if I win. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do if I lose. So five days later, they finally end up coming back with, with a verdict. So I come downstairs. Uh, I didn't have no opportunity to call my family. Uh, they were living in the East Bay. Uh, so when I come downstairs for the verdict, the only people that are sitting on my side is my attorney's loved ones. And it's also Chase and Boudin. Chase and Boudin. I don't know who Chase and Boudin is at that point, right? But on the other side, 
the whole DA's office. So Gascon was the DA at that point, right? So they're all in there waiting for the verdict and the clerk reads off in the case of Jamal True Love on first degree murder, not guilty. And I break out in tears. I'm crying. I'm hugging my attorney and I'm just crying my eyes out. I can't believe it. I'm really breaking down. And then my attorney says, hold on, wait, you got to listen for second degree murder. I said, what? Hold on. Cause I thought I won at that point. So, oh man, it was, I, I felt the sweat just coming down my face. And then they said in the case of Jamal True Love on second degree murder, we find the defendant not guilty. And it, I'm, I'm literally feeling that right now. You know, I'm trying not to get emotional, but when I looked over to the jury, that was the first time that they could actually show an expression on their faces. And you see them over there crying. They're giving me prayer hands. They're sending kisses at me, you know, and all of these things. And I'm, you know, and I'm just crying my eyes out. You know, I look back, you see all the district attorneys just leaving, you know, upset. And I'm just crying my, I'm just crying my eyes out and even going back up to the sixth floor where I was being held and telling everybody on the line which everybody knew I was innocent and I told everybody you know I got found not guilty the whole floor the whole jail erupts even some of the the deputies that were you know cool and even the ones that was foul as fuck because this hella foul shit was trying to, you know, clap their hands and stuff like that. So it was a good feeling. And I went home that day. I was able to surprise my mother and, you know, my family, which they didn't know if I won or not. But I popped up on them and, uh, they, you know, they see me. They couldn't believe it. It was some more tear shit. And it was the most exhilarating feeling to know that, you know, I'm free again today. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Um, you've been out for how long? I've been out five years. 
and I've seen you around and I, you know I know you're making the most of every minute of it um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're working on now and then we're going to get to the closing of the show I ended up suing, you know, the, the police. They try to offer me, you know, some money to shut up. Ultimately, I held them accountable, and I won uh, my civil case. I was awarded $10 million. That ended up rounding out to be $13.1 million, which obviously I didn't get all the money. But from there on, what so what's ironic is before I won my civil case, Three days before that, I landed a role in this movie called The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I got the opportunity by volunteering uh, at a nonprofit called United Players. Rudy Corpez, that's my mentor. And, you know, the mantra is it takes the hood to save the hood. So they were coming there to get some kids for the rock throwing scene. Here comes that opportunity. I say, look, I, I know how to act. I've been acting all my life, you know, trying to fit in the city where I stand out in. And I think that was the line that got me the opportunity to read. Uh, Joe Talbot, uh, Jimmy Fails called me back two times after. I got it. Three days later, I win my civil case. And from there on, I took on what I believe my life was meant to be. And before all of that, I went to school for psychology, Africana studies at State. And after one semester, I identified that much more of what my life was supposed to be. So when you were saying manifestation, you know, I run my life on, you know, manifesto desto. If you can manifest it and you can see the steps that you got to take to actually get there, then you take what's in a tangible right in front of you and you make sense of it on how you ultimately get to that next platform. I also landed a role on this upcoming animation film called Pierre the Pigeon Hawk, which has what Whoopi Goldberg, Keenan Thompson, uh, Howie Mandel, and of course myself and a slew of other names. I'm producing this film called Black and White. Uh, it's about the USC 72 football team and working on other projects. I launched my production company with one of my uh, good friends and business partners, Sintwali Holder, called True Narrative, also launching a, a record label. I have my son and a few other artists that's coming up that I plan on putting out there with their music. And I do a lot of, you know, activism. I use my platform to, to speak on, you know, social issues and to bring the enlightenment to my community about, you know, what we need to be doing within voting and letting our voices be heard behind, you know, systemic racism, behind all these police-involved shootings. You know, I campaign for Chase Boudin. Now, before, I would have never in my life be a campaigning for a DA because the DA is looked at as basically the police. But once I got the understanding that there's going to be a DA regardless, and don't you want it to be the right one? So that's what I start pressing on to my people to understand that there's going to be a DA regardless. And we have a say so in who the DA actually is. So get out and vote. So that's everything in a nutshell. That's a pretty damn good nutshell. And, you know, I got to say, I was a big supporter of Chase Boudin's campaign as well. And I'm super proud of everything he's been doing. You know, the truth is we need to clone that guy and put the clones of him in DA offices all over the country. And while we're on the subject of dismantling systemic racism and all the other things that we've managed to talk about in this brief time we've had together, we can't leave out the young man who testified for you about what he saw in the police station, right? And that was the guy who talked about the police coercing Luala Maga. His name, of course, was Oliver Barcenas. And he was actually shot in the back by the police, right? Oliver Barcenas? The, the story is really that much. Like, we, we will have to have two hours because the police shot him after he testified against me the first time. San Francisco Police Department, right? When he went to prison, came home, within 60 days, they shot him in the back while he was running. He had a gun on him, right? He goes to jail. He does three years, come home around the same time I come home. And then he stays home three years, get on probation. We go to trial. We actually use him to testify in my civil case. He testifies in my civil case and within two months again, SFPD again shoots him in the back while he's running and tries to literally kill him, which he doesn't die. They had it on camera and he actually just two weeks ago settled 
for less than $500,000 in a civil suit. And the media has not connected these at all, both cases. But what I what I know what they ended up doing, because we know this shit is crooked, they gave, I believe, like a dauphine or somebody, it's called a chipped gun. So oh, a drop a drop gun to make sure that this gun gets in this person's hands so they could go ahead and trail them ultimately to go to take them down. And when they're going to take them down, there's only two things they could do. So if they run and they got the gun on them, then all they got to do is kill them. And then they're going to say, oh, well, he had a gun on him. I seen a gun. And blase, blase. The thing with Oliver, he didn't die both times. Uh, okay, wait, wait. What? A, a chipped gun? Like with GPS or something? Yes, that's exactly what they do, right? So you know how when they do like set up cars? They'll put a car right there with the keys in it and stuff like that to kind of like lure you, but they already got it all set up. Same thing with a gun. And they was doing this in the 90s, right? That's how I know about it. It's called a drop gun. So they'll chip the gun, right? And they'll get this dauphine or something like that that'll go up to a specific person or if not a specific person, a crowd and be like, we're going to give you this. Go sell this gun for $100. If you go to any projects in any hood with a dauphine with a gun saying that he's selling it for $100, somebody's going to buy it. And in Oliver's case, that's what I believe they did because the same scenario happened twice. And the second time, it just so happened that they have footage. On the day the Warriors won the championship, their first championship, they pull out on a group of five Latinos with one can of beer talking about, oh, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, Warriors just won. We're just chilling. It's like, oh, well, you got an open can of uh, beer. And it's like, now at that moment, you see Oliver kind of like testy a little bit. And then next thing you know, he, he takes off running. As soon as he takes off running, the officer already pulled out his gun and started running with the gun. Before the officer could see, even if he had a gun on him or not, the officer already starts shooting, blah, 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 drops him with three of them and then shoot an extra three of them while he on the floor saying, get down, get down. And he still lives. This is the thing, though, right? That same officer killed a 14 year old boy in South San Francisco just three years prior. Wow, you're right. We would need at least a few more hours, and I'm not even sure that'd be enough to cover all of this stuff that's coming out now. But, you know, at this point, let's go to our closing argument. This is the part of the show where uh, everyone, I think this is the part of the show that everybody looks forward to. Um, I know I do. Uh, we call it closing arguments. This is where I get to, first of all, thank you for, for being here, sharing your incredible story um, and uh, and doing it so beautifully. And um, and then I get to turn my microphone off and just kick back in my chair, leave my headphones on and listen to you for any closing thoughts that you have about anything you want to talk about. My philosophy that I've got out of all of this that I, I that I've been through is that I don't stand for nothing because I find understanding in everything. And what that is, is just finding mediation. You can have an opinion. You can have an opinion of how you look at things, but also knowing that there's somebody else's opinion and you have to look at it from their lenses and identify why they're looking at it like that, causing mediation. Mediation is peaceful. So if people could always look at what they're going through or their ideology of how they see things and compare it to somebody else's and find understanding in that, within if it's a negative or a positive, then you'll be able to come to a common ground to understand why you're going through what you're going through and why the opposite person looks at something the way that they look at it. And that leads me to uh, knowing that there will not be a positive for you or in this life without a negative. You have to accept every negative. Then you'll understand that me being in this positive situation right now, there's no way I get here or can predict that I get anywhere else in life without going through the most horrific thing that somebody could actually go through. And that's being put in jail and given a death sentence that you have to live the rest of your life until you actually die on. And that leads me to the end. And that's knowing your past could better predict your future than planning for it. If you know the decisions that you made that led to a positive 
and the ones that led to a negative, then you will better identify where your future is actually going towards, knowing that we all have to plan for sure, but not putting a plan so far ahead or so heavy onto your shoulders. So when you fail, you don't find understanding of why you fail, but then you'll understand it that much more by knowing why you failed before. Don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. And I'm a proud donor to the Innocence Project, and I really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions. Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, The CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, Somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are you looking for the perfect move in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.